Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. This week, we're starting a brand new series called Christian Atheist. Now, when you hear that terminology, you're like, what in the world is that? What is a Christian atheist? Because I understand what Christian is, and I understand what atheist is separate. But you put the two of them together, what, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means if you're taking notes. It's somebody who believes in God, but who lives as, as if he doesn't exist. It's somebody who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. How many of you guys know somebody like that? They believe in God, but they live as if, as if he doesn't exist. Now, don't point. That's not nice. I'm not asking you to point. I, if they're here, shh, don't talk about them. I just mean, you know somebody like this, right? Truth is, is that, that three out of four people say they believe in God. If you were, and, and other stats say that seven out of ten people would identify that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that he, they believe he is the Son of God. And yet, if you were to look around your world, seven out of ten people that you meet, would you say that they, their life exemplifies somebody who is following the teachings of Jesus? No. No, you, you, that's, that's, that's not the case. Many of us believe in God, and that's a lot of us here today. We believe in God, but, but we live like he doesn't exist. We live out our lives like he's not there. We're Christian atheists. So that's the premise for this whole thing. And, and just, just to stop you somewhere, before you think that this message is aimed at atheists, like you're going to get them, Pastor Aaron, get them atheists, tell them that God exists. No, look, this message is not about the atheists. It's about Christians who identify with Christ but live like God doesn't exist. I'm not even going to target I have many friends who are atheists, and they are contributing members to society. They are generous. They're kind. They're, they're good moral people. That's, that's not who we're aimed at. I'm aimed at Christ followers or people that are self-professed Christ followers, but don't live like it. And so today, let me give you the opening verse for the entire series, all right? This is a four-part series we're going to look at. And this, uh, this verse, first verse comes from Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he's writing to Titus. And Titus is one of his students, a pastor that he's left in place to shepherd a flock of people. And so He's writing to him, and he's talking about the people, and he's saying that these people are rebellious people. They're, di- they're disobedient. They don't, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're talking a lot. They're saying a lot of things, but their walk doesn't match their talk. They have a lot of meaningless and inconsistent speech. And so here's what he says in verse 116 of Titus. He's writing to him. He says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Basically, they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but then they go out and they deny him by, by the way that they live their lives. They acknowledge him with their lips, but deny him by their lifestyle. This is the Christian atheist. And he says of these people words that are really hard to hear, especially if you're the one on the receiving end of them. This is what he says about them. He said, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You're like, I thought the Christian faith was a loving faith. How could you say that? Well, in light of what he's talking about is somebody who's aligning with truth, somebody who's aligning with the Son of God that's a Christian, a Christ follower, and yet you live like he doesn't exist. Within that framework, within that picture, he's looking at you and saying, you're detestable. 
You're disobedient. You're not fit. I don't want you representing us. Just stop doing things in the name of Jesus, please. You're giving us all a bad rep. They're detestable. So within that framework, we understand. Those are harsh words, but they're important words. And so here's where we're going in this series. Today, we're going to talk about people who believe in God but don't know him. Next week, we're going to talk about people who believe in God but don't fear him. You understand that there is this reverential fear that must be in place, right? God is the God who spoke this universe into existence. There is a healthy amount of fear that we need to have for him. Week three, we're going to talk about, I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard. In other words, I want to serve Jesus on my terms. I want to do it my way, like Frank Sinatra said. Week four, we're going to talk about people that believe in God but don't trust him. They don't trust him because they want to keep control of their lives. They want to believe, but they want to maintain control at the same time. And so, again, this week we're going to talk about those who believe in God but don't know him. And let me illustrate it this way simply for you. Many years ago, uh, I, I had heard of my wife, Shanda, but I didn't know her. I'd heard of her, but, but never met her. And I was, I was working in a kid's ministry and uh, the children's pastor came up to me, found out I was single, and said, hey, there's this girl, Shanda. She's real sweet. She's real nice. You've got to meet this girl. And I said, I'm in. I would like to meet her. That sounds great. He said, yeah, but she lives in Kentucky. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to, I'm not going to go on a blind date in Kentucky. That's not happening. He said, well, I'll get you her information, and we'll see what happens. So every week I see him. Hey, did you, did you get her number? Did you get her, her email? No, no, I, for, I forgot to get it. I'll get it this week. And week by week, it went by, same game. Asking, I'd heard about Shanda, but I hadn't met her. And then when he finally gave me her information, I can't remember if he gave me her phone number and her email, but how many of y'all know an email is a much easier thing to do than calling somebody out of the blue? Hey, uh, this is crazy. Uh, here's my number. Call me maybe. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I was never that guy. I was never... I was never edgy like that, you know, like where I would just call somebody up. So I sent the email. It was way more passive and safe. So I sent her an email, and we started chatting through email. I started sending her surveys because I'd heard about Shanda. I still hadn't seen her. I'm sending her surveys about where she likes to go on vacation, and I think it was like a 20-point survey that I sent her just to kind of get to know her the best I could in text, you know. Conversations were short. But it was multiple, on, ongoing, all day long, four or five emails exchanged back and forth. And then, and then finally, and, 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 you know, of course, we're doing this email thing. We're doing this over, over like, you know, uh, modem, dial-up. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of y'all remember the internet when it was dial-up, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's all my old people. All of you old people, old people, old, you're old, you're old, you're old too. <laughs> old. We remember this. And so once I sent her an email, and I said, hey, can I get a pic? You know, can I get a picture? And she goes, yeah. And I remember when that email came in, and I saw there was attachment, and I tried to load it. 30 minutes later, I was still looking at the top of her forehead. I still hadn't even seen it. You know what I'm saying. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You remember that? Some of you young people are like, oh, dear God, I just described hell to you, right? <laughs> None of you. You can't even wait five seconds for a web page to load, and we used to wait 30 minutes to an hour for one picture, right? Old people... I love you. I'm old. Not as old as my wife, just to point that out, but anyway. <laughs> She's not in here. I'm not in trouble. And don't you tell her either. <laughs> so this picture starts loading, and she's gorgeous. And so I fire a picture back to her. 
And uh, it's a picture of me and Weird Al, because I wanted her to know up front that I was a nerd. And, uh, and so I, I sent it, but also connected, a nerd who's connected, you know what I mean? Because I was in his dressing room with him and got his picture. And, uh, and, and, and then we, we got to a point where the emailing wasn't enough. I had heard of Shanda. I was learning a little more about her, but I still never met her. And so I, I said, hey, do you want an instant message? Because you all remember when instant messenger was all the rage, right? You would instant message somebody, like AOL instant messenger, or AIM as we called it. And right, you turn up the volume really, really loud so that you could go do, like, because it, it's, it's the same as text messaging today. You young people, it's the same as getting a text message, but it was on a computer in a, on another part of the house. So you could go watch your show or do your laundry or do the dishes, and somebody could instant message you, and you needed to have that loud so you could run back to it and send another message, go do what you were doing. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? You guys, yep, okay, all right, all right. So I'm like, hey, you want an instant message to get to know each other? And she said, no, just call me. So... I broke the third barrier there, and I called her, like, woof, hey, and we started talking. We decided we liked each other, liked each other enough that she would uh, come to Columbus, and we would meet, and we would spend our weekends dating, and we dated the entire time that way. She lived in Kentucky till the day we were married, which wasn't very long after. It was uh, nine months after we met that we were actually married at the altar, and because um, I, I snack them up when I know when I like it, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Beyonce said, if you like it, you put a ring on it, that's what I did, so... <laughs> and so, uh, so, but I didn't, I didn't know her. I heard of her, but I, did, but I didn't know her. Nowadays, nowadays, I know Shanda really well. I, I know my wife intimately, I would say. In fact, in June, she and I will be celebrating 12 years of marriage. We, we, yeah, thanks. We, I know her really well. I can walk into a room full of women, completely blindfolded, and know her voice. I can pick it out. I, I know Shanda. I, I know when we go to a restaurant, what she's going to drink. Now, I don't always know what, what restaurant we're going to go to, because let me tell you something, guys. The second you think you know your wife, you don't know your wife, because that'll change, right? But, but if, we, if I know what restaurant we're going to, in general, I know what we're getting. In fact, today, I know that any restaurant we go to, it's a water with a lime in it, please. But there's going to come a day when I order that for her, you know, when she's in the restroom or hasn't arrived yet, and she gets to the table, and um, that's not what I want. It's going to change. It's just going to change. And so, but, but today, I know that about her. I know what she likes. I know, I know generally what she's going to order. I, I know that my wife, when she starts to concentrate, she bites her lip like this, and she's just cutting things or do writing or something. She's going to bite her lip. I know that my wife, whenever she spends some time around somebody from Kentucky, her accent comes back really thick. I don't even have to have been there with her. I can tell she's been with people from Kentucky. She starts talking. She starts saying things like, what's that doing there in the floor? In the floor. Like, it's actually in the floor. <laughs> Instead of, no, it's lying on the floor. It's in the floor. And I'm like, that's an amazing feat. And I'm a little irritated if it's in the floor. She hates when I do that. I know that when she's tired, she tucks her thumbs and sits like this. She's probably sitting somewhere right now like that because she was up late last night. Thumbs tucked. She needs a hug and a nap. That's what she needs. She's tired. I, I know Shanda intimately at this point. And you can probably guess where I'm going with this. This is the way God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to know about him, not just about him. He wants you to know who he is in the same way that he knows you. The Bible says that he knows you. He knew you before you were formed in the womb. He knew you. He knows the hairs on your head, which is something you can't even know about yourself. He knows how many you have. He knows you, and he wants you to know him intimately. 
in the same way that I know my wife. He, he created us specifically for relationship with him. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you're missing out on the very thing that he purposed you for here on this earth. It's to know him. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you because I said today's about you people that say, well, I, I believe in God, but I don't know him. And I think there's three different levels of believing in God. And these are not like official, you know, theologians have said this and it's been proven over time. I'm just using it to illustrate. But there are, I think there are three different levels of, of believing in God. I think the, the, the and as we go through this, I, you're going to have an opportunity to identify where you're at. And I would ask you to actively engage and identify. You don't have to tell me, but you need to understand for yourself where you're at on these different levels. The first level is somebody, some people believe in God, but don't know him. They believe in God, but don't know him. And this is many of you today. You believe in God. You like the idea of God. But I would say that you are more of a cultural Christian. You're a Christian because your mom and dad were or because you grew up that way, you go to church and you identify yourself as a Christian. You do religious things because that's what you've always done. It's kind of like eating comfort food, right? It's like Sunday's the thing. I go to the place and I do the thing with all the other people who are doing the thing, and then we go home and we do our own thing, right? Like, it's check, it's done. Makes me feel good. I've accomplished something on a Sunday. I did my spiritual duty. We feel good about it, right? We feel like, hey, this is where we go, but you're a cultural Christian. You're doing it because... This is the way you grew up, this is the way your, your friend is doing it, or maybe your spouse wants to go, you, cultural Christianity. You, there, there's no real heart in it. You, you're not actually there for yourself. You're, you're doing the religious things. And the reason I know that you're a cultural Christian is because your life lacks any evidence of being a, a Christ follower. Do you understand what it means to be a Christ follower is this one word that you and I hate? Because it's not in our nature to like it. It's this word obedience. Oh, we hate that. Even as a kid, mom says no, and what do we do? Just the opposite of it. We're a generation that has grown up singing songs, we're not gonna take it. We ain't gonna take it, right? We, we, we gotta fight for our right to? Yeah, we're a rebellious group. Culture has taught us to rebel, to not obey. And so as cultural Christians, we, we've, we do anything except what God's called us to do, except what he tells us to do. We don't want to obey. And that's how I know you're a Christian atheist. You believe in God, and you, but you don't know him. So why is obedience such a big deal? Well, check out what John says. He says, we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. There's this harsh truth today. And the truth is not in that person. They say they're a Christian, but there's no evidence of them following Christ. Well, they're a cultural Christian. They believe in God, but they don't know him. If you knew him, you'd obey him. Simply put, these people demonstrate no obedience they have no repentance in their life. There's no remorse over their sin. There's no transformation in their life. Like God hasn't changed them in any way. They're still living the way they were before. They're, they're not doing good works. Not that doing good works leads them to salvation, but that God is doing something good through them. There's no evidence of that. They're, they're cultural Christians. But if we claim to know God and we don't live like Jesus, we're liars. That's what the word scripture says. And there's a lot of us here today, we know a lot about God. Like, we know the Bible. I meet people all the time. I've read your Bible. I know God. 
Oh, you've read it once? That's awesome. Like, I've been reading it for 20 years, and I wouldn't claim that I know God. I, I'm getting to know God. There's a lot of words and a lot of pages. Got me all like, I'm supposed to know that? I'm supposed to memorize all that? It's a lot. Some of you say, I know God because I've, I've done that. I know about your Bible. I do good things. I do religious things. I go to church. Maybe I've thrown some money in the offering. I may be even going on a missions trip. But the problem is, is that those people who think they are Christians are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. They're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches because they've got a lot of head knowledge about God, and that 18-inch difference is that heart relationship with him. They'll miss heaven. They won't be there because they know a lot about him, but they don't know him. You have to listen to the words of Jesus when we look into the scripture as to why this is important. And I don't say this to scare you. See, I grew up hearing preachers preach fire and brimstone, right? Like they wanted you to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they wanted you to be scared and say yes to Jesus for fire insurance, right? To say, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to say yes to Jesus today. I'm scared. So I don't tell you this to frighten you. On the other hand, though, you need to understand there's a truth that exists here that we need to wrestle with. That if we don't live our lives and they, that look like Jesus, then heaven's not for us. Jesus said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. See, it's not even about what you've done. It's not that you're on the worship team or that you held the door open for somebody or that you are a faithful giver. It's not about that. It's not about you, what you do. It's about who you know. It's about your relationship with him. And many will say in that day, hey, I did all these things. And he's like, I, know, I didn't know you. They'll miss heaven by 18 inches because they don't have a heart that's transformed by a relationship with God. And I think that's many of us. In fact, I know that if that's where you're at, Know that everybody else in this room, where you believe in God but you don't know him, everybody else in this room has been there. We were all, at one point in time, a place where we believed in God but didn't know him. We, we've all been there. The second level is of, of this, of believing in God, is that we believe in God. We know him, but we don't know him well. We, we, don't, we just don't know him well. Maybe we've had some experience with him. Maybe we've said yes to him and we started to follow him, but we don't know him well. So there's lots of reasons why you would be in this second category. You could have just begun your spiritual journey, or maybe you started and you kind of just stopped making an effort, and you're here in this place. For example, let me just lay it out this way. I, I know Gene Wilder. How many of you guys know who Gene Wilder is? Show us a picture of Gene Wilder in case you don't know who Gene Wilder is. That's Gene Wilder. He's an actor. He, he's, he, this is one of his most iconic roles, but Gene played in many, many different movies, and I grew up watching Gene. I love Gene. He's hilarious. He's this, 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 his, his, the way he performs, he's so eccentric. He's just brilliant on screen. And as an actor, as a performer, somebody, I, I enjoy that. Many of you don't know that I, I'm, I'm a magical entertainer or I do ma magic sleight of hand things, you know, and I've done that since I was 16. And the persona that I decided to adopt when I perform was this guy. In fact, it was specifically Willy Wonka. 
the way that Gene portrayed him, his sarcasm, the way that he talked to people. In fact, when people talked to me years later, they wanted me to learn some of my magic. They invited me to come to do a magic lecture. Boy, is my nerd showing or what? <laughs> anyway, they'd invite me to come. And so I set up a small tour and I wind up, you know, in Chicago and, 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 and different places around the country lecturing and performing and teaching. And my lecture was called the Snozberry Lecture, right? And I began the whole lecture by singing Pure Imagination. Gene had a massive impact in my life. I know Gene. I read his autobiography. And I was so irritated as I'm reading this book because the publishers of the book, the paragraphs would begin on this page that should have ended here, were like misprinted over here in multiple places. I was devastated for the man that I've admired all these years who's now has passed on and his legacy is this book and it's printed so poorly. I'm so mad when my mom gives it back to me. I'm writing the publisher a nasty letter in love. You know, hey, you need to fix this. I know Gene. I know him well. In fact, it was really cool when I, when I was on one of these magic lectures. I wound up in Chicago, and a guy walks in carrying a golden ticket right in the middle of my lecture, and, I, and I, I'm eyeballing this thing like, whoa. The atmosphere just changed. I got excited, you know. It's a golden ticket. And I talked to him. I said, what's, what, what's the deal with the golden ticket? He said, well, he said, I thought you'd like this. He said, I actually went to a convention today, and, uh, and Gene was there. I said, Gene, he's signing these golden tickets, and, and, uh, and I said, do you think, I, do you think I, I could still see him? You know, the lecture's done at 10 o'clock night. Do you think I could still see him? And he said, well, he said, you're actually in luck. He said, I know that he's done there. He said, but my buddy's traveling with him, like, a, like kind of an agent, a liaison for him. He said, I could call him and see if he's still awake, see if he'd see you. And I said, would you please? Here's all my stuff for free. Just take it. Just take it if you can set this up. So he calls, and Gene will see me. So we race across the city. And I'm sure nothing in the way that this guy drove across the city was legal. I mean, we were running over, over like berms, like those median things, and like trying, doing a lot of illegal stuff to get to Gene quickly. And then I was ushered up to his hotel room, and there was Gene sitting on a bed. And then for the next hour and a half, he thrills me with stories. Talked to me all about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Before I left, I got a picture with Gene and I just thought I'd show it to you today. That would have been awesome if that happened, huh? That's not Gene at all. None of the story is true. But, but <laughs> that would have been really cool. This is Denise Nickerson. Denise Nickerson was the next closest thing to Gene Wilder because this is Denise. She played Violet Beauregard in the movie Willy Wonka. And everything I said about Gene there at the end, at the convention and going up to the room and being thrilled with stories is true about Denise. I did meet her in her hotel room after she was at a convention and she thrilled me. And now, not only did I know Gene from his movies and watching him and reading his book, but now I heard firsthand accounts of Gene. I know Gene. I know his life, but I don't know him well. And many of you, this is, this is, this is your story with God. You know God, but you don't, you, you don't know him well. Maybe you've read about him. Maybe you've experienced him. Maybe you've even said yes to Jesus. Maybe it was here in this place. Maybe you've taken steps to get baptized. Or maybe you've begun growth track. Or I'm not sure where you're at on your journey, but you know him, but you, you just don't know him well. Your relationship isn't growing with him. And when that happens, when you aren't growing in a relationship with him, when you've kind of just stopped with maybe those first two steps towards him, 
Well, we're in a dangerous place. Because when you don't know God, things begin to shift in your life. And I think the problem is, is, is that too often regarding Jesus, we're informed about him, but we're not transformed by him. We get to know a lot about him, but we're not transformed by him because we don't continue to get to know him. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you're not allowing God to mold you, to transform you, to change who you are. And so Paul says this in Galatians about people who know God. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But not that you know God, or rather are known by God, or excuse me, but now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? What he's talking about is people that take those steps towards God and then they stop. They don't grow in their relationship with him in any way. What do they do? They do old school religion where I grew up, you know, old school churches, they call it backsliding. They start taking steps backwards away from God. They start turning away from healthy ways of living, living like Jesus, and turn back to their selfish ways of living. When I see people like this, I just want to grab them and go, what are you doing? Don't, don't you know that that path leads to death? You've been there before. The Bible says that we're like fools. We return to our vomit. When we've tasted of God, and we know, and we, yet we return, as if we never knew him at all, I don't want to just ask, what are you doing? But that's what happens. That's what happens when you cease in your spiritual journey. We don't continue to get to know God. You're not being transformed. You're not being changed. You're not being sanctified. Sanctified means being cleaned up by Christ, by his spirit. You're not being changed as a result. I'm here to tell you that if you knew him, you wouldn't be perfect, but you would at least be growing more like Jesus. Your experience would be different. You and I both would be different. We'd become like Jesus, or at least in the process of becoming like Jesus. So some people don't know him, and some know him, but they don't know him well. This third level, and this is my hope and desire, is for all of us to be there in this place, is that you know God, you believe in him, you know him intimately, and you serve him wholeheartedly. This is a much different picture than I believe in him, but don't know him. And I believe in him, know him, but don't know him well. It's a very different picture. Because I believe one of God's greatest desires for us is to know him. Is to know him intimately. And to serve him wholeheartedly as a result. Most that are here, like in this level, you'll, if you would ask around, are you there, are you there? Most people would not resoundingly say, yes, that's where I'm at. That I'm, that, that's where I'm at. The people that are here are generally humble about it and say, I, I don't know if I am, but I want to be. I, I don't know if I am, but I'm hoping to be. I'm pursuing that. I'm longing for that relationship with God where I know him intimately. You can identify them. They're usually the ones that are here. They say, I, I hope to be. They know themselves well enough. They know that they're imperfect. They know that they're, they still don't have it all together, and yet they are pursuing a perfect God. Those are the ones that are generally here. They, they are people that demonstrate things such as humility. They demonstrate repentance, where they turn away from doing things their way and start doing it God's, regardless of the cost. They are people who, who not only repent of their sin, but they, they avoid, tempt, or not avoid temptation, they reject sin. They are people who give and seek forgiveness often. 
not just because they realize that unforgiveness poisons them and not the person they're holding it against, not just because they realize that, but they're forgiving and desire to forgive because the Bible tells them to. That we are to forgive as we have been forgiven or God won't forgive us. These people that are here, they give and seek forgiveness often. They hear God's voice and they obey it, whether it's through a Sunday morning message or through reading his word, somebody in their grow group that speaks truth to them, they hear God's word and they obey. These are people that, that, hear, or that see his hand in their daily life. Not that everything's going well for them, not that everything is perfect, not that there's no anxieties and there's no stressors and there's no circumstances that don't stink. No, no, no. It's just that they know that all things work for the good of those who love and serve him. And so that means even in the middle of a mess, God's hand is here somewhere. This is beyond optimism. This is placing hope and trust in a God who is good. People that are in this level exemplify that. They have peace in the middle of their storms. They know what it's like to experience weakness and yet be strengthened in the middle of it. Because of the relationship with God. Because they know him intimately. And as a result, they serve him wholeheartedly. It's just like with my wife. I know her intimately. I know her. And I know that she loves me. And because of her love for me and how she demonstrates that, how can I not respond to her with selflessness? Watch the words I'm saying. I didn't say selfishness. Selflessness and a laying down of my life and serving her wholeheartedly. How could I not do that? And God, who loves us unconditionally, loved us, loves us, is loving us unconditionally. How could we not, when we get into relationship with him, Respond to him in such a way where we serve him wholeheartedly. But you have to be in a pursuit of that relationship. In the same way that I'm in pursuit of my wife, still to this day, you say, well, you caught her. Why are you still chasing her? Because that's the way it works. Because if I don't keep chasing her, I'm going to lose her. Listen to the marriage series. You'll get that. But it's the same with us with God. We must be in pursuit of his presence, in pursuit of a relationship with him. If you want to know him intimately and serve him wholeheartedly, that's what you must do. And this imagery from David, David was a guy who God identified and said, this is a man after my own heart. So when David speaks, I listen. It's really important. It's really important that you understand, and maybe you don't have all the words of David. David was a very emotional guy. He was a songwriter. He was handsome. He was a warrior. You know, he's got all these things, like, you know, you know somebody who's got it all, and they've got more talent in their little pinky finger than you have in your whole body, and you just hate them. You know what I'm saying? David's one of those guys you love to hate. He's like, oh, this guy sings, plays the harp. He was a rock star of his day. But this dude was identified as a man after God's own heart. This is what he had to say about knowing God. He said, God, you, you, God, are my God. Notice the possessiveness of it. You're my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. In other words, because of how awesome you are, I can't help but worship you. I can't help but tell people about you. I can't help but sing about you. can't help but write these songs about you because your love is so awesome. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. 
This is David, an imperfect guy's reflection on his relationship with God. This is somebody who knew him intimately and served him wholeheartedly. And as we look at this picture, you, you understand it's much, more, much different than somebody who says, I believe in God but don't know him, or I believe in God but I know him but don't know him well. It's very different. So how well do you know God? That's the question that you, you should answer for yourself. How, how well do I know God? Well, let me tell you this. How you address God is a good indicator of how well you know him. Listen to that again. How you address God is a good indicator of how well you know him. People uh, call me on my phone. I get calls all day long. A lot of times I don't recognize the numbers and, and I'll answer them. Other times I just send them a voicemail. But if I ever answer the phone and somebody says, Mr. DeLong, I'm hanging up. You don't know me. You called me Mr. DeLong. The way that you address me identifies the kind of relationship we have. Or because my legal name is James, James Aaron. Somebody says, hi, can I speak to James, Jimmy, or Jim? <laughs> no. <laughs> just, just no. Or if they do that, I know it's time to start having fun and just pretend like I can't hear them and say everything wrong back to them. We'd like to talk to you about your credit card. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk to somebody about my car anyway. It's making this kind of noise. Can you guys help me? Your card, sir. Yeah, that's what I just said. How you address me helps me understand our relationship. Some of you call me Pastor Aaron. You, you address me based on my, my role, the office that God has given me here. I just did air quotes for those of you who are listening to the podcast. This position that God has placed me in, so you refer to me as Pastor Aaron. And the first time you do that, it's just, I'll tell you, it's just Aaron. You can call me just Aaron. But some people insist, and I'm okay with that if you insist. But know that I don't need that. And you know me. As Pastor Aaron, and you probably know a lot about my life, I've shared a lot today. Every Sunday I share stories. You, you know a lot about my life because you've heard it, but you don't know me. You don't know me. Or some of you call me Aaron, and it's, it's likely that, that, you know, that you do know me, that we're friends, that we're in a grow group together, or that we play cards together, or, you know, that we're at least friendly. And then others of you... My close friends, they call me lots of things. Some of them call me A.A. Ron. Some of them call me Pad, which is Pastor Aaron DeLong, so they call me Pad. And because of something that happened on vacation, some of my friends call me Jimmy. That's a smaller group of people. They call me Jimmy because somebody at the, at the airline counter said, okay, Jimmy, where's your luggage? And that was it. The rest of the vacation, I was Jimmy. They know me in a different way, but there's three people on this earth that know me very differently. And they're the only ones that call me daddy. They're the only ones. They're my children. And they know me in a very different way. They know me in cuddle time. They know me in, in cry time when they're hurt physically, emotionally. Now they're teenagers, and that's, the crying's very different and perpetual. They, they know me very differently and intimately in a way that none of you ever will because they're my children. And then there's one person on this earth who calls me babe, and she's the only one allowed to. And I love it. I love that she calls me babe, and that's my wife, just in case you didn't know who that was. 
she calls me babe. The, what you call someone helps you determine the nature of your relationship with them. And so some of you with God, the way that you address him will help you understand the nature of your relationship with him. If you often find yourself referring to him as the big guy, well, there, there's, you're not speaking to anything about a relationship with him. If you talk to him about the, the man upstairs, it demonstrates the chasm that is between you and him. You really don't know him. It's not, you don't believe that he's a God who's close to you. Or you may even refer to him as dear six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. And, and this means that you just have great taste in movies. You know, I mean. <laughs> How you refer to somebody matters. Those of you that know, you have, you have an intimate relationship with God and you refer to him as Father. Others of you, I've heard people call him daddy. But you know what Jesus called him? Abba, which is a Hebrew slang word for father. And Abba is literally how children would pronounce the word for father because they couldn't say it. You know how kids kind of say dada because they can't say daddy? Saying Abba father or saying Abba is the equivalent of calling God dada. Now, if we're ever in prayer and you call God Dada in front of me, I may laugh a little bit. <laughs> but this is how Jesus talked about him. Demonstrates the nature of his relationship with him, like a child to a father, innocent. And this is how he told us to pray. Abba, Father, Dada. Just come to him and approach him like a child. Others of you, you, you talk about God or the way you refer to him as your healer, your redeemer, your savior your king, Lord. You, re, you refer to him as, as your comforter, as your friend, your shelter, your protector. And what you call God reflects the way you know him. So how do you know him? What ways do you know him? And the more that you know him, the more you'll discover the names you have for him. The Israelites were the same way. The time God did something, they gave him a new name. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, great in victory. Jehovah, Jehovah Rafik, Jehovah Sidkenu. I, I could go on and on. They gave him all these names, but it all started with Jehovah, God. God who does this. And the more you get to know God, the more you're in a relationship with him, the more you pursue him, the more you understand who he is. You know him. You begin to know him by these different names. A lot of you are just in this place where you, you know God as dear God. Dear God, I pray today that you would help me not to sin, not to be hateful to anybody. And so far, I've done a good job of that. But I'm getting ready to get out of this bed, and I'm going to need your help for the rest of the day. <laughs> we pray, dear God. And our prayers are focused on our needs, what we want. Can I encourage you to begin to seek God's face and not just his hand? He's much more than what he can do for you. He wants a relationship with you. That's your greatest calling in life, is to know him. It's, it's to know him. And you'll find that as you get to know him, you are transformed by him. You'll find that you begin to have a compassion for those that are discarded and discounted and suffer injustices in this life. You'll find that walls of racism will crumble as you spend more time with him. You'll find that your heart breaks for what breaks his heart. You'll find that you're willing to forgive quickly. You'll find that even though you sin and make a mistake, that you 
understand his love for you and you can repent and then move forward with his grace and his mercy easily. Your, your life will be transformed. You'll have a desire to pray. You'll have demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll demonstrate all these things in your life towards one another. When you know him, you are transformed by him. The beautiful thing is, is if you feel so distant from God, the Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. It says that as you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Let me give you a picture of what that looks like. That as you take a step that you can take, a human step towards God, he takes a God-sized step towards you. So it begins with a, a simple prayer. Well, God, I want to know you more. Don't feel in despair if you're not here in this place where you know him intimately. It begins daily by asking him, I want to know you more. Show me who you are in your word. Show me who you are in my circumstances and in my life and in my relationships. Show me. Reveal yourself to me. He takes good pleasure in revealing himself to you so that you can know him. That's what he wants. In fact, let me tell you something, that, that this life that we are to live as Christians is a life that Jesus described as a full and fulfilled life. If you don't have that right now, then you're missing it. If you would identify as a Christ follower and you are not experiencing a full and fulfilled life, then you're missing it because this is what Jesus promised. And a full and fulfilled life starts with a spiritual journey of knowing God. Everything else that leads to that full and fulfilled life starts there at knowing God. You have to know him. And so that's my prayer for you today as we close, is that God would reveal himself to you and this is a prayer that Paul wrote. And I want to encourage you, if you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, this, this reference, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. This is a prayer that the words are written for you that you can pray for your family members, your friends, your grow group, me as your pastor, this church. You can pray this prayer simply. And here, here's what it is. And this is what I pray for you very often. Because I believe this is what God wants for you. He says in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Not just so that you can go and be awesome, but so that you may know him better, period. That's it. He continues and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is your spiritual journey. This is where it begins. And it can begin today with you knowing God. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if you're here today and you'd say, Aaron, you know, I believe in God. I believe in God, but I don't know him very well. And today, I, I want to begin to bridge that chasm between me and God. I want to, maybe, maybe you stopped in that journey. Maybe you said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to church regularly, but everything stops right there. There's no application of his word. There's no obedience to it. And you're, you're a cultural Christian by definition. 
and say, Aaron, I, I, I want to begin to be obedient. I want to begin to follow him in a way that, that I ought. I want to know him better. And if that's you and you, you want to make a decision today, nobody's looking around. This is, this is actually not, it shouldn't be an embarrassing moment, though I feel like our enemy wants us to feel embarrassed that we're needing to confess this, but sometimes that's what we need to do is confess, to repent, to turn away from. So in this moment, if that's you, would you, and nobody's looking, I'm just looking, I want to know who I'm praying for. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me, I want to know God better. Yeah, yeah, honestly, there, every hand in this place ought to be up, honestly. It should, you can put your hands down now. Seriously, it should. We all need to know him better. So Father, in this moment, I thank you. I thank you for your word that challenges us. I thank you for your truth that is like a light being flipped on in the middle of the night. It's inconvenient, we hate it, and yet it is necessary for us to see ourselves clearly. And not just that, but to see what you have for us better. Lord, I pray that those that are bold in this moment that have decided, yes, they want to know you, Lord, that as they have taken a step right now, they're praying right now to know you more, Lord, that you would take a giant step towards them. I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them in some way, great or small, in their relationships, in their home life, in their job, in their finances, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to them, God? Would you help them to know you better today? Open the eyes of their heart so they may see you clearer. And God, don't let that just be a today thing. Let it be an everyday thing. As we walk out this life in pursuit of you, help us to see you more clearly. There are those of you in this room as we continue to pray. You, you don't know Jesus at all. You don't know God. You may believe in him. Or maybe you're just here because you're not Muslim or you're not Buddhist and so you've been lumped into this Christian category. Maybe you're like, you know, a lot of people. They come to church and they don't know Jesus from a bale of hay. Wherever you're at, there's no shame in that. I'm not shaming you. I am here to give you an opportunity, though. If you want to know Jesus today, know the Father through his son Jesus. It's simple. You place your faith in him. You ask him to be Lord of your life. Why would you do that? Well, because you and I are born selfish disobedient, rebellious. And when we live out our lives this way, we miss our best, God's best for our lives. The Bible calls it sin. This sin ravages in our life and poisons everything that we do. Poisons our thoughts, our relationships, our opportunities. And God's like, you know, there's a penalty for that sin. And the only way that you and I have to pay for that is an eternal separation from God and hell. And yet God in his kindness and his love sent his son Jesus to pay a price that you and I could not pay on our own. He paid that price when he died upon the cross. He lived a perfect and sinless life on this earth. He laid down his life willingly. And when he shed his blood and died and rose from the dead, he made a way for you and I to be forgiven. He made a way for you and I to be transformed. He made a way for us to know God and to spend eternity in heaven getting to know him to live a full and fulfilled life on this earth. That's what Jesus did. And he did that because he loves you. He did that because he loves the Father and because the Father loves you. He's fond of you. He's not mad at you. And this is your opportunity 
to know him and begin a life of knowing him today. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You just need to say, you know what, I'm going to commit to to understanding. I'm going to commit to following him as he leads me and as I learn how. And if you're here today and you want to know that full and fulfilled life that comes with beginning a relationship with knowing God, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can be included on that prayer. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to make fun of you anyway. We want to celebrate with you. Here is your moment. Would you just shoot your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Right now, do it now. Do it now. I want to say yes to Jesus today. That's me. I want to follow him. Yeah, that's me. You can put your hands down now. One more shot. I know you're holding out. I know you're afraid. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've been here before and you failed and you're like, I don't want to suffer the shame of saying yes to Jesus, making that public commitment and then faltering again, Aaron. I couldn't handle it. Look, I'm telling you, this is your special moment where God is saying, I love you. I love you. For those that have already said yes, this is your moment again. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm ready. I've messed it up before, but I'm ready. Do it now. All right, we're going to pray this prayer, church. We're going to pray it together. If you're listening by podcast, you can pray this prayer with us too. Right where you're at, God will meet you, even though you're not in this building. Church, let's pray together. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to this earth. You lived a perfect and sinless life. You died on the cross at Calvary, and you rose from the dead three days later. You did all this to show me you love me and give me a new life. Jesus, here's my life. Give me your life. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.